Dotnet Rocks, episode 1058, with guest Roger Alsing. Recorded Tuesday, October 14th, 2014. Hey, hey, hey! What's up, Richard? I'm doing a thing with a thing. All right. It's time for .NET Rocks. Awesome. Can't wait. Time for another stellar episode. Yeah, we've been using that line for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Things are going good here. I'm um, doing a bit of uh, Xamarin Forms work and um, some WPF work. Nice. Uh, all at the same time. Not the same project, but all at the same time. Well, when this show's coming out, we're at the MVP Summit, so goodness knows what we're up to. Who knows? That's yeah, right. It's hard to tell. Time shifting is a funny thing. And uh, speaking of WPF, I had a solution I needed. I went looking online and I found one, so I thought I would share it with you. Roll the music. Better know a framework. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? One of the problems with WPF is the uh, image control doesn't animate GIFs. You know, you put a oh. GIF in there that has animation in it, multiple frames, and you just see the first frame. Oh, right. You need to use like a, a web object or something, right? Like it's normally a browser that would run an animated GIF. Well, the browser is, yeah, the browser does run an animated GIF for you. And it would be nice if WPF's image control did that because there's a lot of time where in this asynchronous world of ours we're retrieving data and we're waiting for it you know and for sure sometimes we want other things on the screen to update immediately but if we're loading something that takes a long time if we're waiting for some async await call to come back you know you might want to just put up a little spinner or something and uh, the animated gif is the a really nice easy way to do that right so I went looking for some code, some C-sharp code or some VBNet code or whatever that I could use, and I found it. If you go to tinyurl.com slash GIF image source, GIF image source, and this is a Stack Overflow question. Oh. Yeah, from, uh, actually it was asked in 2008. Wow. Shows you how old this problem is. And uh, still, still needs a solution. And, and amazing, it hasn't been incorporated into the framework. Yeah, I, who knows? It might be a copyright because I remember GIF was a CompuServe thing. Right, right, right. Could be. I don't know. GIF or GIF? Let's not even go there. Why do the browsers get to do it? I don't understand. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. So anyway, it's a class GIF image, and uh, it does exactly what you would think, and it's a little more code than you'd think. Also, so. yeah, it's quite a bit of code. Quite a bit of code. It has to to use the uh, animation in WPF to do something. So, but it is easy to use, and I have used it, and it works great. Yeah, and then you can just code doesn't matter once you've got it; it just runs. Yep, that's it. Nice, good find, dude. That's really an interesting thought because in animated gifs, I think they're more popular now than they've ever been. Well, who knows? I I know I needed it, and that was I needed to have a please wait spinner. And that seemed like the easiest way to do it. So, there I you like go. It. Good find. All right. Who's talking to us, buddy? Grabbed a comment off of show uh, 969, which is the one we did with Richard Asbury. We were talking about Microsoft Orleans, which I think is the only other time we've talked about uh, serious actor models, because we're yeah. going to do that again today with uh, ACA.net. Yep. And this comment comes from CDMan83, which is obviously a handle, because if you're 
parents named you CD Man 83. Well, that's just not right. <laughs> uh, but he says, uh, all well and nice, but the discussion didn't cover the most important, in my opinion, aspect of the system, reliability. With hundreds of nodes, failure, partial or permanent, is probably a daily event. How does the system handle it? What kind of reliability guarantees does it offer? Is the client notified and does it need to retry? And what about split brain solutions? Any dis- serious discussion about distributed systems need to ask these and similar questions. Yeah. And it's funny, I, I, I'm not sure that we ever referred to that because, of course, we're talking about a widely distributed system where these are just worker roles. They come, they go. If something fails, you would just start another one and map to it, right? Mm-hmm. The whole routing model should do that automatically. It's it's almost trivial. Mm. But I'm with you. Maybe we didn't call it out well enough, and we might get a chance to try that again today. Perhaps. So, Mr. Your Name's Not Actually CD Man 83. <laughs> A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you, and if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps, because we've got them for Windows 8, Windows Phone 7 and 8, iOS, and Android. And that brings us to our guest today. Roger Alsing has been programming since 1986 and now works as a consultant, developer, and mentor at NetHouse in Sweden. He started his career with Visual Basic 6, got stuck in C-sharp, and now tries to break free by cheating using other languages. <laughs> <laughs> he also has a passion for open source and is the founder of the OSS project Akka.net, a community port of the popular JVM actor framework, Akka. Welcome, Roger. Thank you. We first heard about actor models uh, in uh, .NET Rocks, anyway, on uh, show 925 that we did in Sweden with Rachel Reese. Remember that, Richard? Oh, yeah. We were talking F-sharp. Yeah, it was uh, actors in F-sharp, and um, all I remember about that show is that the actor model has these little guys that get messages, and based on those messages, they do things, or they enable things, or they can create other actors, and, uh, and so it's like, it's like the game of Pente. It's a very simple game with stones on a grid, and there's very few rules, but once you start laying down a lot of stones, boy... Things can get very complex very fast. That's what it seems to me anyway. But uh, tell us what um, problems the actor model uh, fixes or addresses. Uh, Yeah. Uh, The main uh, essence of the actor model is to provide a concurrency constraint onto the actors. So uh, a specific actor can never process more than one message at a time, even if it has many messages incoming from many producers. Uh, so that lets you reason about the code in a really simple way because the code inside the actor itself acts as if it is single-threaded. So you can write the code inside the actor in a really simple way and you don't have to rely on locks and mutex and uh, all those strange threading primitives. And a lot of that is because they're, the actors don't uh, have any state with each other. Is that right? They're just these entities? Yeah. Uh, the actors have local state. They have their own state, but they never share state with anyone else. Mm-hmm. So when they communicate with each other, you pass messages that are immutable. So you can't share a mutable object and change stuff in both ends, so to say. You can only pass immutable data between the actors. And it makes a lot of sense, I, I suppose, unless you're going to be passing a lot of data, I mean, at what point do you say, well, this message is too big, I need to do something here, and what would that something be, a decomposition, perhaps? Yeah. In the true actor model, the 
messages you pass is passed by value. So you copy the entire uh, message and pass. And like you say, if the message is too big, it will get slow because you have to copy the data when you pass it. Right. But in uh, ACA.NET and in JVM ACA, uh, since we run on the .NET platform and JVM ACA on the JVM, we have uh, reference objects. So we can model our objects as immutable classes. So we can still pass the messages as reference objects. So we still only pass a few bytes for each message. I see. And, and, and the next question is, if we're passing by reference, then no two actors can act upon the, that reference at the same time? Is that the, the rule? Uh, no, uh, it's only that the message has to be immutable. You can't have mutable data and share it. I see. So you can, you can still pass the same immutable object to oh, two sure. actors. I get it. So I, I want to pass a big chunk of data. It's out there. I, I just pass a pointer to it, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. But it's still a, you know, something that I created that when you're done with it, it's done. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. And, and this does obviously solve a, a huge concurrency issue, especially if you compare it to object-oriented programming where, you know, it's, it can be a minefield. Yeah, exactly. If, if you take the classic uh, bank account example that you see in every object-oriented textbook where you have a bank account and the bank account class have a uh, withdrawal function and a deposit function mm. and maybe a account balance field, Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a single-threaded environment, uh, we can write a code uh, with, let's say, an if statement in the withdraw function, and yeah. we check if the amount is less than the account balance. If so, then we modify the account balance and subtract the amount from the balance. Otherwise, we might throw an exception or return an error code or whatever. But as soon as we have competing threads talking to the same object, we can get into... Uh, concurrency issues because thread number one might come in and execute the if statement and we still have enough money on the bank account. Uh, but when the thread is about to start modifying the account balance, the thread might context switch and thread number two might come in into the same function and also execute the if statement that's still passed because we still have money on the bank account uh, and then update the bank account uh, so we might have uh, too little money on the account now. Uh, and when thread number one again starts to execute, it will start executing from the point where it stopped. So hmm. it will continue and it will subtract the amount that it should from the account balance. But the account balance has now been modified by thread number two because that also modified the balance. So, so we have a guard clause that tries to prevent negative account balances, but if we have competing threads, this check might not actually work because the threads might execute the if statement at the same time, and one of the threads might update the balance uh, before the other one. Right. And you can write mutex code yeah, yeah. to protect yourself from this, but it's hard. It's hairy. Nasty. You can uh, place uh, locks and such in the in the code, but the problem with placing locks is that you have your business code or domain code, if you will, uh, and you start shoving in things like uh, locks and uh, monitor try enter and stuff like that into your business code. And it makes it really hard to reason about the code, what it really does. 
not only that, but a lock prepares you for a situation that might happen one in a million times. Right. And you're slowing it down every time. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, not just that. Uh, let's say you use the lock keyword in C sharp. That will lock indefinitely. So it locks to the end of time unless <laughs> the operation completes. So if thread number one comes in and applies a lock and something goes wrong, and thread number two comes in and tries to uh, update the account balance, that will also stand and wait to the end of time. And if you have a lot of shared resources, it might kill your entire system. Uh, and even if you don't have uh, locks that stretches forever, uh, it might still make your code go so slow that uh, your system is actually waiting for resources to free up more than it actually does running your business code. So uh, that expensive server you might bought for your system, maybe it's only running business code for 50% of the CPU time and uh, the rest of the time spent trying to deal with locks and waiting for resources. And polluting code, right? It gets way harder yeah, yeah. to read code when it's full of this plumbing of managing threads. Yeah, yeah exactly. And we also talked about uh, Orleans on the show quite a while ago do you um and i think that was what richard asbury yes right yeah. it's 969 yeah and um and so how does aka.net compare to that or maybe we should just start with uh aka.net what's the you know what's it all about what's the use case and application for it yeah uh, aka.net is for building highly concurrent and distributed systems that can scale and uh, be fault tolerance uh, and Aka.net is, as we said earlier, it's a port of uh, the JVM framework Aka from the company called TypeSafe, uh, but we are a community port. And uh, uh, the perfect application might be something like, uh, say, an online game like World of Warcraft or uh, online uh, betting or maybe stock trading or something like that, where you yeah. have to have high throughput and be able to process a lot of data really fast lots of data yeah yeah a back end for a mobile app that's got a lot of communication happening from you know millions of users yeah exactly maybe some maybe some kind of internet of things application right uh, something like that yeah perfect well as soon as you get to anything highly parallel or asynchronous like this like it's when it, you know it's like you get gradually pregnant the code started <laughs> off simple, and then it's like, oh, we need to be more concurrent. So you start decorating it with all this lock management yeah. and stuff. And one day you look back and go, what did we do? What were we doing? Yeah. yeah. So to start at the beginning with this, we're going to be highly concurrent. Mm. Yeah, and the actor model really helps there because the actor model is based on a concept of having a mailbox for each actor. So... When you have concurrency and uh, many producers send messages, the messages will end up on the mailbox for the actor. And the actor will only pull one message at a time out of the mailbox. So uh, the mailbox is also lock-free. It uses a concurrent uh, queue in .NET behind the scenes. So it doesn't use locking. It only uses memory barriers for writing. So it's super fast when you try to push data to the mailbox. Nice. So there's very, very little overhead to actually doing this synchronization. So the actor model seems sort of 
non-analogous to objects and, and sort of I'm wondering how these things work together. I mean, do you just write your normal object-oriented code and the actor model is implemented behind the scenes? Or do you actually create actors and process messages and and, and all of yeah. that? Uh, in ACA.net, we have this base class called uh, actor base, and we have a few different ways to implement actors. We have a concept called receive actors that it's based on uh, Lambda expressions, and we have another that it's called uh, untyped actor which comes from the JVM ACA that is uh, an actor with a receive method that you push the message as an object just into this method and you can do whatever you want mm-hmm. in there. Uh, which will be really nice if we get pattern matching and uh, record classes in C Sharp uh, yeah. in the future. It's been talking about that for maybe not C Sharp 6, but uh, later. Yeah, pattern matching is awesome. The first time I heard about that was in Erlang. It was on the road trip. We uh, we were talking to, I can't remember who we were talking to, but a pattern matching turned into this amazing uh, idea of watching data as it comes by. And if you get a chunk of data that sort of matches the the schema of, uh, you know, of something that we're looking for, we can identify it as uh, as being something significant. And, you know, there's a lot of patterns we're starting to see today. I think reactive extensions feels like this, too. This is the idea of being able to deal with a stream of data and just execute against it uh, in in very parallel ways. Yeah, uh, we actually used uh, reactive extensions inside ACA.net uh, in the early stages because... Really? Uh, yeah, uh, reactive extensions comes with a class called, I think it is, uh, subject uh, that is a generic class that you can pass messages to and you can apply a subscriber to that class which does exactly what the what the actors do they pull out a message one at a time uh, so i used uh, that inside the aka.net mailbox but uh, it turned out to be a little bit too slow for my liking so i ended up writing writing the mailbox code from scratch instead but, and the focus uh, seems to be first and foremost speed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on a local computer, on let's say my my laptop, using Akka and not using remoting, but just in process communication, we can push uh, up to thirty four million messages per second. Wow! So, so it's it's not that far from plain method calls. Really, um, there's some overhead, but it's not that bad, really. No, no, that's incredibly fast. Like, that's just a ton. And and calling back to Mr. CD Man's question, what about resiliency? How do you deal with failure? If a given actor crashes for whatever reason and fails, what happens? Yeah, that's a really powerful concept in ACA.net and uh, really in ACA on the JVM. Uh, we have a concept called uh, supervisors. So mm-hmm. each actor has its own supervisor. Uh, and the nice thing about being asynchronous is that when an exception occurs, let's say you are in the synchronous world in object orientation, when an ex- exception occurs, the only way you can pass this exception is back to the caller. You can't do anything. You can handle the exception or you can return it to the, the caller and the caller maybe handles it or return it to its caller. But in the async world, we can pass the exception wherever we like because nobody's waiting for us to finish. 
So we can pass the exception to this supervisor and the supervisor can look at the exception and see, well, it's a division by zero exception and that's not critical. Maybe this actor can continue and the supervisor can tell the actor to resume processing. Or nice. if, it's, if it's some other type of exception, maybe you can't access the database right now. Uh, maybe the, the supervisor will tell the the failing actor to to restart and try from scratch. Well, I think this is an interesting part of the pattern too, that error handling is not done by the actors. It's just propagated back to the supervisor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, And that's really powerful because you can make this supervision hierarchies where you try to push the uh, volatile parts of the system down to the edges and uh, do the scary stuff in in the leaf nodes of the tree so to say so right. if, if something crash you can just restart that branch of the tree and say let's start from scratch let's uh, start from a healthy state uh, that we knew works uh, and we can do this for a few times and say that if we fail for 10 times in one minute for example then we can kill the entire tree and say that we have to solve this some other right. way at runtime. So so failure handling is really built into the framework itself. So it's not something that is optional because in standard object orientation, you will have to place uh, try-catch clauses uh, pretty much everywhere on every yeah. site. Well, and uh, especially patterns like dealing with a database failure. You know, even if yeah. I've got uh, a hot failover database, when it fails... It takes a couple of minutes for it to recover, and code can go really berserk in two minutes. Yeah. So yeah. actually figuring out, oh, we've had a database failure. I should wait a minute before I retry. Yeah, And exactly. maybe only and after three or four one-minute retry yeah. waits do I finally go, well, it's not coming back. Yeah. Uh, in ACA, there's this concept of a circuit breaker that does exactly what you're saying right now. So if you have a failure for a few times, we can say that uh, you're in a uh, failed mode right now and we shouldn't try again until in a few minutes. So right. that, that concept is baked into the ACA framework. Uh, however, we haven't ported the circuit breaker class to ACA.net yet but but it's on the to-do list no but we still have the supervision hierarchies and uh, victor klang the chief architect of aka for jvm had a really nice story about the supervisor hierarchies for aka Uh, let's say you have a vendor machine a coffee machine and let's say you put in money in the coffee machine and press the coffee button then you expect to get coffee back but if you put in too little money the coffee machine might say uh, too few coins you have to insert more money into the machine right and and that's a validation exception i did something wrong i passed the wrong arguments to the the, com- the component here uh, so the machine can tell me you have to put in more money and i can put in more money but let's say we get a out of beans exception the the machine has no coffee beans in it uh, is that really my responsibility as a consumer of this machine to, to deal with this exception? Maybe I'm just a guest, guest at some office and the coffee machine says after beans. Is it my responsibility to find this bag of beans and open up the coffee machine and try to put in the beans or uh, would the uh, machine fail and electrocute me or what will happen? 
so instead, when you have these supervisor hierarchies, is that the machine, when it has an application error, like the out of beans exception, is that it can pass this exception to its supervisor and say, what should I do? And the supervisor in the coffee machine example might be a service guy and service technician that takes this message and say, oh, we're out of beans in the coffee machine in the office. Uh, and the co uh, service guy goes to the coffee machine and puts in beans and I will get my coffee without passing the exception through me that is the consumer of the component. Right. Uh, and that's really awesome, in my opinion, that you can propagate the exceptions to someone that actually knows how to deal with this application exception instead of forcing the, the consumer of the component to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, let's say you have a, a logging component like nlog or log4net, uh, and you have this log code in like a million places in your code base. Uh, let's say if such a component fails and throws a uh, database, database not found exception or a network error or something, you don't want to put try-catch clauses in every of those thousand uh, call sites. Uh, that's an application exception and shouldn't be handled by the consumer of the component the uh you have this actor system that you have to create as a, a container for your actors does that yeah. become the supervisor or is there a separate supervisor class uh, yeah uh, the actor system contains a root actor that is the uh, supervisor for the entire system then each child you create from an actor, when uh, an actor creates a child actor, the parent becomes the supervisor of the child. Oh, I see. Uh, so there is this tree where the root supervisor supervises the system actors. We have a few built-in actors into the system. Mm. And uh, we have an uh, actor called user, which is the supervisor for actors in user space. So it has nothing to do with actual users, but uh, user-defined actors. And typically, does this tree of actors get created and instantiated all at once? No, no. You can create actors whenever you want. So, okay. so the child actors for each actor is, is mutable over time, so to say. So you can create actors whenever you want. So there, isn't any, there aren't any other uh, scoping things that are outside of the language that you're using. In, no, no. in there. Okay, well, that's cool. Um, sit tight for a second, because Richard, you know what time it is. Ah, uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, time to haul that stupid broken coffee machine out to the fire escape and throw it off! <laughs> <laughs> You're on the fifth floor. That's far enough. Did I tell you the story about when we were building the studio, there was a, a old vending machine that needed to die? Well, it was actually broken. It was dead. It was dead. And it was one of those that had cold drinks like 50s you know logo on it i don't know if you ever seen it but if you ever been to like a skating rink in the 50s this is how old this thing was but it was it was a piece of crap it wasn't uh it wasn't a vintage piece at all anyway right. the general contractor took a sawzall to it and cut it up into pieces and threw it off the fire escape <laughs> in the middle of the night <laughs> That's not This legal. is the kind of fun we have at Pop Studios. Uh, back in the good old days. Yeah, That's well, not that long ago. It was, it was the middle of the night at the parking lot. Nobody was hurt. Nice. Anyway, it was fun. 
Actually, it's time to give away a D-Experience subscription from DevExpress to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Nice. So who's our winner, buddy? Today's winner is Ken A. Riley. Congratulations, Ken. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Ken just won the D-Experience subscription, a pile of awesome from DevExpress. And if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions uh, which have been updated, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we give away great stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away $5,000 to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And we'd like to ask our guests, Roger, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now today... I like let's go shopping. Yeah. What what would you buy? Uh, I would actually spend the money on uh, Lego Mindstorm because uh, <laughs> I've always uh, looked at that, and I think somebody else brought that up on a previous show, uh, but I'm not sure. No, I believe you're right. I can't remember which one, but it was that's true, and, and that's an admirable uh, way to spend your money. But it's you know you can get a lot of Mindstorm for five grand. Mindstorm. Holy man! Yeah. Like I think their big fancy kit is four hundred bucks, and that builds a remote control robot. Yeah, so you can get ten of those and take over the world. Yeah, but you can build really cool stuff. I've seen this <laughs> uh, Rubik's cube solving stuff, and yeah, it'd be nice to plug in uh, Aka.net and control all of it with the uh, actors. There you go. There you go. Actor software to work against. So, uh, yeah, how do you interface with Mindstorm's gear? Does it have like a USB port or Wi-Fi? Can we put services on it? Uh, I don't know, actually. There is uh, an API. Some... Oh, there it is. Yeah, look, they're using ARM 9 processors, USB, and Wi-Fi. Yep. Holy man. Yep. It's an Internet of Things device It's a little now. toy IoT maker. That's awesome. Well, I should say it's a little IoT toy maker. Let's put, it, let's put no the words kidding. in the right order. Yeah. Yep. Whatever kit you want. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, you, you know, you could build a heck of a of a Mindstorms lab for five grand. Like, it, you'd be really fun. You'd be the uh, yeah. the envy of the town. Cool idea. Uh, I'm in, I'm impressed. I'm just now I'm poking around the Mindstorm site and I'm like, oh, one of those and one of those and one of those and one of those. So C Sharp is a .NET language. F Sharp is a .NET language. Akka .NET is a .NET framework. Would you yeah. use Akka with uh, F Sharp to get even more goodness, or is C-sharp sufficient? Uh, you can use both, but the F-sharp API is really super awesome. We had two guys from the F-sharp community that uh, contributed the F-sharp API. So uh, since F-sharp is more functional, and uh, the F-sharp guys really don't want to inherit some strange object and override methods. They want to write really functional code. Uh, and the F-sharp API for Arca.net lets you do that. And since uh, F-sharp supports code quotations, you can uh, serialize a block of code. So you can say, I want an actor that works this way, but I want to remote deploy this actor on 
another machine on the other side of the world. And Akka.net will take that code block and serialize the F-sharp message loop and pass it on to the remote machine and uh, compile the expression there and let the actor on the remote machine use the code that you deployed from, from another machine. So the F-sharp API is very close to, to Erlang, uh, where you also can do this kind of code hot swap in, in a live system. Uh, we cannot do this in, in C-sharp because C-sharp doesn't have code quotations, so we can't serialize blocks of code. Do you, do you know what just occurs to me, and I may have occurred to me before, I didn't remember, but uh, and it seems to me to follow the actor pattern, and that is Windows GDI, Richard. Really? Think about it. I mean, I don't know if you've ever read Charles Petzold's book on how Windows works, but oh, sure. there's messages that get passed around in Windows, and you have these objects that are basically sitting in loops processing messages, like they're the main window in any Windows app is basically a loop that that is a message pump. And, yeah, the, uh, yeah. The Windows procedure, you can uh, hook into that and uh, process the messages. Uh, you had to do that on the VB6 time. You could make your own window handler. That's code right. For, is, is that effectively an actor model? Yeah, it's pretty much because uh, message loop will also only process one message at a time. That's, sure. That's why if you write blocking code in a Windows Forms application, for example, uh, the entire application will freeze and will it, it won't update the, the window or anything. It will just be right. dead. That's because you have blocked the, the message loop. Yeah, because I, I did some writing in, in the GDI time frame, and that's what it was. I mean, you get messages whenever you uh, type a key on the keyboard, whenever you move the mouse. I mean, that's generating messages. And sending it to your app, and then your your message main message loop takes those messages one at a time and processes them and turns them into events. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this pattern isn't that unusual. It's just I don't I don't think it's as well delineated as it shows in this actor pattern. Uh, when you're coding ACA.net, is this all C sharp? Where does F sharp fit into the equation? Yeah. The framework is coded in C-sharp. Only the F-sharp API, which is a separate module, is coded in F-sharp. And okay. that, wa that was a strategic move when I created ACA.NET from, from the beginning because I knew that there are a lot of more C-sharp developers out there than are, are F-sharp developers. So I knew that the F-sharp uh, or the C-sharp community would give more traction to the framework than if we wrote it in F-sharp. But you are programming in a very uh, functional style in C-sharp when you're working against ACA.net. Yeah, inside the actors, it's sort of functional because you can do this C-sharpified pattern matching in the, in the actor or just That's use uh, Lambda support we have. But yeah, we can do pattern matching for, for objects with a much uglier syntax than the F-sharp. Like, <laughs> I love C Sharpified. That's awesome. I'm going to use that. Yeah. <laughs> trademark. You're yeah, here. Roger Alsing has a trademark on it. Nice. Yeah. Um, can we talk about how uh, Aka.net overlaps with reactive extensions or Orleans is another one I brought up before, or maybe even the Task Parallel Library? Yeah. Uh, both uh, Task Parallel Library and uh, reactive extensions allow you to do asynchronous work in some way. So uh, ACA.NET also allows you to do asynchronous work. That's pretty much the goal of the 
framework. So, so developers need to know when to use which, and uh, uh, pretty much you have to know that when you're using tasks, you only return one value, and when you have the value, you can throw the task away. And if you have a process where you need some stateful long-running process, maybe you should use actors instead of the TPL, for example. So the the conceptual overlap is in the asynchronous part of the uh, frameworks. And um, so, so you need to know what best fits the problem you try to solve. So they are different from each other. I mean, to me... The actor pattern, I mean, Aka.net and, and Aurelines, are they basically the same thing? Yeah. If we compare Aka.net to, to the Aurelines framework, they are conceptually the same because it's actor frameworks, both of them, but they have some fundamental differences in how they are implemented. For example, in the Aurelines framework, you code classes that look sort of like normal classes. You have methods, but they don't return normal values they return some sort of task. I don't think they return the standard TPL task. They have some sort of a grain task or something like that. But but still, the class looks like a normal class, uh, which I think is not really actor-like because one of the axioms with actors is that an actor should be able to decide how to handle next message uh, so an actor can change its behavior over time. If you think of a game like World of Warcraft, where you have a player and the player right. is alive, and maybe you'd send a hit command to the player where the player dies because the hit points goes to zero or something like that. Uh, you can tell the actor to become a new state. So you can tell the actor to become the dead state where you process messages in a different way. Because when the player is dead in such game, uh, the only thing you can do is maybe cast some resurrect spell onto the player and the player becomes alive again. Yeah, but uh, that's a changing state as per typical, right? Yeah, exactly. But you can also change how you uh, process the incoming messages. So when you're in the dead state, you process a different set of messages than you do when you're alive. Because when you're alive, you don't process the resurrect command, for example. Right. You can't see the ghosts. Yeah, exactly. And uh, in the Orleans framework, since you have methods in a static interface, you can't really change that at runtime. You have the methods you're given at compile time. So, so Orleans doesn't really allow you to write uh, the same kind of state machines. Uh, and I think that's a little bit bad, uh, but I get why they did that, because they want it to look more like object orientation so m more developers can uh, uh, use it. But I don't think it's the right choice because writing highly distributed and concurrent systems is really, really hard. So right. you won't benefit from making it super easy to define the classes because you still have to know all the magic behind distributed systems when you're going to build it. Uh, so I don't think they really gain anything from making the interface look like object orientation and, and uh, skipping the good parts like uh, state machines. And certainly when we talked about to Rich Asprey about this, he was very much focused on this implementation in the cloud. 
Yeah. Which I almost think was a misnomer because it doesn't really matter. You could implement this anywhere. Yeah, but I think uh, Orleans only runs on Azure. I'm not sure. I uh, I've only read that it runs on Azure. That you can't run it locally. While in Aka.net, uh, you can run it on a laptop. Run it where or, you want. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, the the project's up on Codeplex. I'll include a link to the right. Orleans Codeplex project. So in theory, you can make it work anywhere. But you're right; it is built against the Azure.NET SDK. Well, and that's so where it makes the most sense, I think. Don't yeah. you? I mean. It, you know, in the services area. Yeah, but but still, maybe you want to have a, a small actor system on your Windows phone, for example, that processes messages in some kind of application and then synchronizes data with with the backend. Hey, if uh, it'll speed up my phone, I'm all for it. Actors <laughs> or no actors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Akka.net's on GitHub? Yeah. So it's are on- you taking contributions? Yeah, uh, we're about 10 developers right now with the commit rights and a few others that uh, commit uh, without having real commit rights, but they send pull requests. So uh, uh, if anyone is interested in uh, helping out, just uh, look through the task list. We have a few up for grabs issues. That and and this is just an open source project. This is not your job. No, no, it's, uh, it's just a hobby project for me, but... Uh, uh, for example, uh, Aaron Stannard, that is also one of the main developers uh, and uh, was with me the first user of Aka.net. Uh, he uses it in production already, and uh, he's, he and his team actually wow. developed some of the stuff uh, during work hours. Okay, you- so he's actually it's now in use in his... In his company, so it's yeah, yeah, it's actually yeah. for work as well. Do you uh, yeah. d- have you had requests to build a PCL version? Uh, no, a portable class uh, library version. No, not yet. Uh, we're still trying to get it to work on on mono. Uh, mm-hmm. It there's nothing that really should stop it from working on mono, but uh, right. we have some network layer issue on mono right now. So that's the next step, and. Uh, if we get that going, maybe we make a portable class library version. Yeah, because then you could put it on an Android device. You could put it on yeah. an iOS device, an iPad, for example. Yeah. yeah, nice. Hey, this is great stuff. I, th- you know, this is the problem with doing the show and hearing about all these great things. I don't have time to mess with this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got the lead for for Aka.net from a listener, Jason Weeman. Right. Email okay. me back a, a couple months ago saying, Hey, have you heard of uh, Project Orleans? You know, but we, cause you did the show on Project Orleans. Have you heard about ACA.net? Cause I've been having a great time with it. So and I took a look and went, Okay, this is pretty cool. And I just liked that it. it's, you know, Orleans to me felt like this was a project done internally at Microsoft for the Halo thing, you know, that all of that stuff there around the gaming engine. And they decided to make it open source as well, mm. kind of, sort of, but dependent on Azure. And here's yep. a group of guys taking, I mean, how many times have we found great frameworks built in Java and then had them moved over to .NET and done really cool things with it? I mean, I don't think we've talked about that in years, but here it is again. You put an N in front of it, and it's the .NET version. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what we do. Uh, and that was pretty much the reason I started to create Aka.net. Uh, it was born out of frustration because I had this consultancy gig where I was uh, developing a 
application for a large customer. And uh, the application was built using the standard .NET uh, three-layer architecture and uh, entity framework and uh, DTUs and all that. And we had some concurrency going on in the system, and we had no way to deal with the concurrency inside the system without yeah. putting in locks and all those strange things. So I thought there has to be a better way to do this than writing locking primitives into into the business code. Yeah, indeed. So I, so I started to look around, and I found there was another actor framework called Stacked, I think, by the same guy that makes Mass Transit, the service bus. Oh, yeah, uh, Chris Patterson. Yeah, but uh, Stacked had, hadn't been uh, maintained for over a year, I think, and there were no traction in the community for that framework. So I thought, uh, let's port something that is actually popular on the JVM and people really use it and there's books about it. And uh, uh, so that's how I started making Akka. And uh, a while later, maybe a month after I started porting it, I got the mail from this guy, Aaron, that said, I'm going to use this in production for my startup company. And uh, I thought, well, he's crazy, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Code I'm writing, you would use? Are you nuts? <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, we teamed up and he started contributing and we reformed the project as Aka.net in, in the shape it is now. Uh, nice. Yeah. Well, Roger, this has been great. Mind-blowing, actually. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, and good luck with Aka.net. And we will see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter van.